Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. I, I promise this is the last time you'll see me for some time, so there you go. You, uh, here we go. I want to paint a picture for you today of what it's like when the church becomes the church that God dreamed it to be. Since I've only had a couple of shots at being with you, we started last week with what do prayers look like? When we actually pray the best of God into each other, over each other, for each other, and take it very deep. Today we're going to look at the bigger picture of how we live out community together. In this season, community is crucial. It's not just you, it's how we do this together. So I just want to start this morning by talking to you about how God's a dreamer. I'm not sure most of us spend a lot of time thinking about God as a dreamer. Come on, the fact that some of you are here before 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning tells you God must be a dreamer. (laughs) The fact that a few of you are actually clothed and in your right mind, God's a dreamer. Um... We could continue on with that, but we won't. So God's a dreamer. He has a dream for his church. He has a dream for this world that some weeks seems like it's hard to picture. But we know what he makes out of some of the most difficult times. And the passage will show us that today. He has a dream for you individually and has a dream for us So let's just picture God as a dreamer for a minute when we look at what it's like when the church becomes the church the way God dreamed it of being. There's two parts to this passage in in Hebrews 12. The first part is a reflective one. It's sort of think about this stuff. The word's actually much more detailed. It's sort of calculate this. And then the second part of the passage we'll look at is this is the part that you go after. Again, my, one of my favorite phrases of all of Scripture, it's both testaments. Go after this, with all your heart. With all your heart. And so let's begin by taking a look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Very often we, uh, we only preach, speak about the first two verses. There's plenty of material in there to take the time. I don't want to give more of an overview today. But the first two verses sound like this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that entangles us and the sin which so, everything that hinders us and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to notice in this passage that he doesn't talk about you and your connection to God. He uses the plural. So depending on where you come from, that's either y'all, or if you're from Pennsylvania, yous. Ewans, Ewans, you decide how you want to do it, but it's y'all. All of us do this together. It's not just you and this race you have. 
So he says, if you're going to run this race in such a way that you win, the first thing is just get rid of every hindrance. He said, throw off every hindrance, and then the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, because we've been in church long enough, most of us, we latch onto the sin piece. Now, you'll have to forgive me, but when I think of you, I may give you too much credit. I was thinking, do we actually have any world-class sinners in the early service? (laughs) I'm going to say no. If you want to argue with me, I'll believe you that you're worse than I know. But so many of us have taken responsibility for the sin aspects of our life. It's that first thing. Throw off everything that hinders you. Let's just talk about you for a minute. Let's talk about you. You see, for so many of us, it's not the sin that's holding us back. It's the voices of the past. I mean, come on. How how many of us hear something? God speaks to us clearly. We hear an incredible message at a place like this, and we go, I'm going to do this. And then before long, there's some sort of voice comes in and goes, yeah, right. How long is that going to last? Yeah, I remember the last time. Now, am I, am I just giving my own statement here or I'm getting a sense some of you are there. There's other things that hold us back. So that's why, like with my friend Rob Bremer and others, create things like soul care to go, okay, what's behind that? What's behind that? So it's not just I have to overcome this. We use phrases like I'm going to try harder or do better or my favorite bad one. I'm going to work on that. By the way, I've tracked people who work on stuff, tracked them five years. It's still all there. We manage it, but it's still that thing that hinders us. So if you're going to run to win, identify what those things are that hinder you. If there is any sin left over, come on, take care of it. You're too good to leave it around. And then run with perseverance. Perseverance, by the way, as you read through the New Testament, there will be two places where the writers talk about the character qualities of those who follow Christ. Perseverance is in both of them. It's that point where you push through. Not just address it, not just think about it, but you actually push through. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. In the culture we live in, it's so much easier to describe what's wrong, what's missing, what we wish was different. And it's simply about fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then it's to run your own race. We've created terminology in the last number of years in, uh, in the professional world, business, etc. The key is to stay in your lane. The problem is some of us don't have a lane. Uh, We haven't found it yet. We're not sure exactly what that looks like. I was just with a group of leaders uh, just before pandemic, and they actually did an intervention on me. And they go, Martin, there's like this group of, I think there's 18 of us from 14 countries. I always like it when you're with a group like that, and they go, we've been talking about you. So you always go, really? I'm not feeling very special. Uh, I'm not sure if I should or not. And they go, you, you don't actually have a lane. I go, I know. And they go, we all have a lane. Like, 
here's the best known evangelist in all of the UK. Here's the scholar from Germany who's written 40 some books already. Here's, and they went through and they go, you don't have a lane. You do all the stuff we do, only you do all of them. What's that feel like? And I go, eh, it feels like I need more focus, but you know, the, the meds haven't kicked in yet. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still waiting for something to happen. <clears throat> and they're going, you know, we, we kind of wish that worked for us. Doesn't work that well. Here's the key in, in our lives. Find your lane. Stick with it. And run your own race. But with those around you, the text tells us. Now, there's a shift now in the text. Here's the shift. Beginning in verse 3, lots of your Bibles will say, Consider him who has endured such great hardship. The, the word is literally a mathematical term. Calculate. So give some pretty deep thought to this. Consider what's coming next. Think through it deeply and calculate it. It simply says, consider him. Consider who Christ is, all he's done, what he has for you. Mike, that was great this morning that you had that, <clears throat> that psalm that God said, I'm going to unfold this for you. This is what it's like. Walk in it. Consider him. Consider who he is. But the text then moves on and says this. Consider him who has endured such hardship for sinful people so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. The Bible uses that phrase quite a lot. As a matter of fact, twice in this passage. Now, apparently, God knows that some of us, certainly not all of us, but for some of us, that growing weary and losing heart thing is kind of a big deal. Do not grow weary and lose heart. Say it one more time. Do not grow weary and lose heart. I've made uh, numbers of trips to various parts of Africa. And I'm fascinated by the wildlife there. I mean, if you're interested in wildlife, that's the place to do wildlife observing and everything else. But one of the animals that fascinates me most is the cheetah. The cheetah, they say, is one of the fastest animals in sub-Saharan Africa. The problem with the cheetah is it's so fast for a short distance. If it doesn't catch its prey in that first fury of activity, then it has to go then for the rest of the day and lie under a shade tree and recuperate because in that long slender body is this disproportionately small heart. Oh. The disproportionately small heart. The text paints a picture for us. If we're going to run this race in such a way that we win and run it together, we can't lose heart. Can't lose heart. Keep going. Now we get to the hard part of this passage. It says, consider, literally, calculate. Calculate the Lord's discipline. Now, now I, I've noticed this piece of the passage rarely gets preached. Because it's no fun to preach this one. 
And it's hard to, it's hard to make it clear without people going, oh, I wish I hadn't come today. <laughs> Stick with me. I think we can frame it so that you won't walk out with that necessarily. Here we go. He said, have you forgotten the word of encouragement that comes to you as sons? Now, this, this is not to exclude anyone. He's using terminology about firstborn sons, those who get an inheritance, those who are heirs, and those who are secondary in the process. And he talks about those he embraces and holds and those that are declared illegitimate. And so he says, my son, <clears throat> do not make light of the Lord's discipline again, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone that he receives as his own heir. Push pause for a minute. We don't know why we go through the toughest times in life, but most of us do. Some of us are gifted at it, of going through life's heartaches and the difficult challenges of life. When we go through them, it's really hard to have perspective. And yet people around us seem to want to know what we're going through. And they're always asking things outside of faith. It's what, what, how are you feeling? What's going on? What do you think? What's running in your head? Inside of faith, it's actually harder to go. What's the Lord saying? And my thought is always, he's saying, don't talk to you. <laughs> Because I feel worse when I do. Okay, let's just figure out. How do you know it's the Lord's discipline? How do we know it's not just an incident that happened in the universe? How do you know you didn't make a bad choice? How do you know it's the Lord's discipline? How do you know it's not somebody else's fault? How do we know that? The issue is we don't. Now here's the challenge. When you go through those most difficult times in life, it's so hard to have perspective because it just hurts. It just hurts. Which is why this passage talks about how we live out faith together. It's in that togetherness of the faith where people come alongside us. They don't ask diagnostic questions. They're just with you. Just with you. The most insightful people say almost nothing. They don't even tell you they're praying. We can assume that. You're a person of faith. We know you're going to pray. Don't tell us that. My kids one time said, it's really interesting. We know how much mom prays for us. She never mentions it. She says things like, I baked your favorite chocolate chip cookies today and I thought of you. And they go, it's almost like code. But they said it helps us because when we're stupid kids and we're going through stuff, to have your mom look you in the eye and say, I'm praying this into you, they're going, just makes you feel worse. Yeah. Now, if you're not one of those moms, thank God. But what you intend and what other people receive are two very different things. So when you go through discipline, which, by the way, has a purpose. What is the purpose from God's perspective? Remember, we're under the calculate aspect of the text. When you go through those difficult times, what does it tell us? 
Here's what he says in verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our own good. Hold on. That we might share in his holiness. That we might share in his holiness. Okay. From the text, here's what it looks like, folks. The purposes of the difficult challenges of life. The purposes of God's discipline is one singular approach. That when you have gone through these in the community around you, you take on his character. You see, it's hard to know when you take on his holiness. It's, it's hard to know. How are you objective about holiness? Come on, I talked about it last week. And I actually have people say to me, Martin, you kind of sound like a broken record. You talk about holiness all the time. I go, have you read the Bible? Like, it, it shows up a lot. But we sort of skim over it and don't always know what to do with it. Here's what you do with it right here. Objectivity is when you're together. When you've gone through discipline that you might share in his holiness, the people around you either say it to you or very often say it about you. You remind me of him. There's something so distinct about your character. You remind me of him. By the way, for all of you who wonder about how might God want to use you, it's right here. Neighborhood, community around you. You see, when I, when I pray for Risen King, here's my prayer. God, they've got a lot of stuff taken care of. They're good. But I want to pray for the people. That when they interact with the people in the community, the people in the community go, Risen King, ah, oh, the holy people. Because you remind them of what God must be a bit like. It's hard to have perspective on this on your own. I mean, come on, what do you do? Get up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, oh, looking holy today. <laughs> if so, you have other issues. <laughs> no, it's as we live out faith together, the text says. It's how, as we live out faith together, we actually remind each other of this. I mentioned last week, in the last few years, I've been to hell and back a few times. And I've had some really good friends. Sometimes I just caught them talking about me. Other times it was direct. And they would say things like, Lauren, you, you have more authentic joy than anybody I know. It's good to hear, because it didn't feel that way most days. Or they would say something else and I'm going, you see, that, that's the stuff we need to hear from each other. Because when you go through those difficult challenges in life, sometimes, sometimes it just seems painful. The next part of the passage moves ahead like this. Beginning in verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all people, again, and be holy. Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. 
See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no root of bitterness gets to grow up, cause trouble, and defile many. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. Let's push pause. We've got a shift now. I said the first part's calculate. Yeah, now we're in pursue. If you want two words, go after. Go after this stuff. So what do we go after? This is the intense part of winning the race as it's laid out for us in those first couple verses. Some of your Bibles go light here and go, make every effort. It's just a nice way of saying, yeah, go after all this with all your heart. Pursue it. Go after it. What do you pursue? Come on, pursue peace with all people. This one causes us great conflict. Causes us great conflict because we're always asking the question, whenever I have spoken on anything like pursuing peace, there's an endless group of people when we used to uh, not have to wear masks and be socially distant and worried about where have you been and what have you been doing. It was just different back then, where have you been and what have you been doing. That was a different conversation. People would pause when I would be, as a speaker, standing out someplace where they could talk to me, and they'd go, yeah, but how about this situation? How about this person? We want to slice it finally. Do I actually have to live peace with this schmuck? Or this person who hurt me? Or this? Just read the text. Read the text. Live at peace with all people. By the way, sometimes if we talk to those other people, they, they find you difficult. We, again, I always, I said last week, I don't, don't take this personally unless, of course, you should. And then take it very personally. Seek to live at peace with all people. Because as we live out faith in community, it's just necessary. Live out that faith in such a way that we can live in peace with all people. I learned a long time ago, I was actually in my mid-twenties, I hadn't been at this faith thing very long, and I thought, I'm going to adopt a policy. It's two sides to this. Number one, I'm not going to talk about anybody. I'm not going to say anything about anybody. Then I thought, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to say anything about anybody I've not already said to them. Oh, that's a great way to live. I've discovered over nearly 40 years. If I have said it to you, I don't need to say it about you. And by the way, no one can change anything if you only say it about them. Folks, take care of this one. If we're going to live at peace with all people and reflect God's holiness, do not, let me say this as strongly as I can, do not talk about anyone. It's not your job. It's not your job. And no one can address anything if it's not said directly to them. Pastor Mike's actually said to me that I get away with saying things to people nobody else could. And I go, no, I think I'm just either more courageous or insensitive. I don't know which. 
but no one can change anything if it's not on the table. But then there's no sense in saying anything about anyone. I don't want you to miss that one. And I said it last week, let me just remind you that very often in places like a church, we start to think that our opinion matters more than it does. If we're going to live at peace with all people, let's just keep in mind, you're one of hundreds. It's what's good for the community, not just what you think is the most important. Just note that. So pursue peace and then pursue Holiness. Pursue holiness. I want to give you one piece that I have uh, <clears throat> begun to develop that people don't quite know what to do with. I, I've, I listen a lot. That's part of my role. And especially leaders. And, um, you know, I run a doctoral program, and so I listen with people who are at sort of that stage of their education, and they've demonstrated leadership wherever they are. And I, I listen to people who use phrases, and I'm going, you're, uh, you're pretty far along in this faith thing, but you've got some odd phrases. Now, forgive me if I use your phrases and what I'm going to say next, but they do things like, you know, I just, I, I, I sin every day. It's just a matter of fact, they're sort of disgusted, they put their head down as if they're shame, and they shake their head, and I'm going, Really? Uh, are you sure you do? Or is that just a phrase that runs in your head? Like, I'm around you. I don't see it. Unless you're a really not nice person behind the scenes, I'm not picking up on this. Where'd you pick up this phrase? And it's usually from an earlier stage of their life, family, or church. And so I began to say to leaders several years ago, let me talk to you about anticipated holiness. And they go, anticipated holiness, I've never heard of it. And I go, because I just made it up. <laughs> That's why got, I think it's going to become a worldwide movement. We're just not there yet. Here's what anticipated holiness looks like. You're aware your confessions are current. You've looked deeply into your own heart and soul and gone, I've taken care of everything I know how to take care of. And then in the mornings you get up and go, instead of, God forgive me, I'm going to sin today. Get up in the mornings and say, God, I look forward to walking with you today. I look forward to being one of your kids, one of your servants, one of the people you bless and use. All I have to decide is how broad is that bless, being blessed and used going to be. And you anticipate walking with him. And then if anything pops up, and sometimes it does, that you consider sin, take care of it. Take care of it in the moment. Anticipated holiness. Oh, I think that'll preach right there. I think it will. But it's way better to live it than preach it. There's just such an absence of shame and everything else that creeps in. So pursue holiness, as the text says, without which no one shall see the Lord. And then pursue wholeness. Now, give me 30 seconds, just 30 seconds, to, to sound like a bit of a scholar. I've only got 30 seconds in me. Here we go. We have a phrase here, beginning in verse 15, that says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. 
It's a unique usage of a word in the, in the scriptures. What we have is actually the verb form for the noun for bishop, for overseer. The bishop is the one who oversees other ministries, often globally. That's the word used here, only it's the verb form. Here's what it sounds like when you read this. Watch over one another so that no one, absolutely no one, misses the grace of God. Oh. When we live out faith together, instead of being critical, instead of saying things about people, oh dear God, you watch over one another in such a way that no one, absolutely no one, misses the grace of God. You know the grace of God, don't you? That stuff you get you don't deserve. Now here's what I've discovered about human nature. We love it. We love the grace of God for us. We get slightly resentful when it's for somebody else. As if, it, what runs in our head is, they don't deserve it, as if you do. <laughs> we forget that. We forget that one. So here we go. Risen King, watch over one another so that no one, absolutely no one, ever misses the grace of God. Uh, if we're going to talk about what it's like when the church becomes the church, we're getting close now. We're getting very, very close. Let's wrap this up. When the church becomes the church, you will run, you will calculate, and you will pursue. Text unfolds in that way. When the church becomes the church, you'll set your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. You'll run in such a way that you actually win. You accept and discern God's discipline together. You pursue peace and holiness and wholeness so that no one, absolutely no one, misses the grace of God. We, of course, are in Olympic season. I want to recount a story for you from uh, a while back when the Special Olympics were only, uh, only American back then. There was this, the uh, story reported for us in Time Magazine said it was near the end of the day. The Special Olympics were held that year at Mankato State University in Minnesota. And near the end of the day, two young lads lined up to run the 400-meter dash. Both of them had cerebral palsy. And the reporter for Time Magazine said he looked at his watch and thought, this is going to take a while. And he said he remembered sort of looking up and thanking God that he wasn't like those boys. It's been a long day. The crowd was quiet. The message came over the loudspeaker. Runners to your mark. Get set. Pistol went off, go. And he said as he watched them begin in their slow pace, he looked at his watch again and thought, this one's going to take a while. It was late in the day, the crowd was quiet, but one of the coaches wouldn't allow them to stay quiet. One of the coaches ran along with his runner 
And he kept yelling at him. He said, come on, Joey. You can win this. This is your race. You can beat this kid. He seemed to forget the Special Olympics wasn't about humiliating your opponent. It was about participation. The once quiet crowd began to join in just because he was so loud. And he was running along in the infield, running along, keeping up with his runner. By the time they got to the first curve, Joey had a significant lead on the other kid. The once quiet crowd began to join in. And as they got to the, um, the backside of the track, the crowd began to chant, Joey, Joey, Joey. When he got to the final turn, Joey had what sports writers call a commanding lead, more than 30 yards over the other runner. And then at 20 meters, in the midst of the crowd's cheers and running the race, Joey stopped dead in his tracks and just stood there. Oh, the coach went berserk. He was yelling so loudly, he was waving his arms. He knew he couldn't touch Joey or they'd both be disqualified, but he did everything else to get as close as he could. Joey just smiled at the coach. And then he turned to the crowd and he waved. (laughs) And the the crowd got quiet. And Joey turned and he looked down the track at the other runner. And over the quiet crowd, you, you could hear Joey's voice. He said, come on, buddy, come on. They said it's as if the runner's pace picked up and he ran as he hadn't run all race. And as the gap narrowed, Joey stuck out his hand and they went across the finish line together, reported in Time Magazine. The writer for Time said he heard Joey's coach going, boy, Joey, you're a real winner. And the writer who had earlier thanked God that he wasn't like those boys said he said one more prayer. He said, Lord, make me more like make me more like Joey. Folks, let's wrap it up. Christ has run and he has won. And he's saying to you, Here's my hand, run with me. But you have one more hand. There's someone half a step to a two steps behind you who would love nothing more than have someone like you say come on run with me Uh, when the church becomes the church you're really close but when the church becomes the church God dreams it to be this will be full reality for you may it be so soon Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? I want to tell you to grab hands, but I don't know if we're allowed to do that anymore. If you feel comfortable, would you grab the hand of the person next to you? And let's pray together this morning. If you don't feel comfortable, it's totally okay. If you're at home streaming this service, if you're streaming with some folks, if you want to grab their hand, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture of what the church looks like, of what the bride of Christ looks like. Lord, I just get this picture of this long chain of people holding hands and running together.
I'm even reminded, as, as Martin mentioned, we are in this Olympic season, and so all the commercials we see on TV, they're very sports Olympic related. And there was this one picture of, of a coach running with his, uh, the person he's coaching who was blind and he was attached to him, running together at the same pace, training him because he couldn't see. And so he was running with him to keep up the pace. Father, we thank you for this picture of the church. As Pastor Mike has been phrasing it, we belong to each other. And so, Lord, whether we're holding hands or we're just standing close or we're just in the room together, Father, let this be a picture of, of your church, of what you're doing here at Risen King and what you want to do even outside of the four walls of this building. We want to be a people who are so unified one to another and so unified to you that when we leave this place, wherever we go, that we smell like you, that we look like you. And we remember that we are not alone. I thank you again for this picture of the church. We say this morning that we want to step into what you are asking us to be that we will pursue peace, that we will pursue holiness, that we will pursue wholeness, and we will run this race together with our eyes fixed on you. Father, we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.